KYW Original Podcasts. From the KYW Studios in Philadelphia, this is Cinema Obscura. It's a look back through the annals of forgotten films, the movies that fell under the radar and through the cracks. I'm Andre Bennett, joined by Frank Trainer. Hello, Frank. Thanks for having me along for the ride here, Andre. This week, we're not just talking about film history, but actual history. It's the story of five brothers whose bond took them from schoolyard fights to a beleaguered battleship. We're talking about the Fighting Sullivans. Well, fellas, what's it going to be? Army, Navy, or Marines? Navy. Navy. Right. Well, if it wasn't for Catherine, Mary, and Jimmy, why... Sure, if it wasn't for them. But you're married, and you got a kid, and that's that. Yeah, I know, it's only right, but... Sure will seem funny. Up to now, we've been together in everything, the five of us. Here, the biggest thing of all comes along, and... I'm out. Yeah, it's always been the five of us. Well, somebody's got to look after Mom and Pop. Mom and Pop ain't the kind that need looking out for. So what do we do about them, anyhow? Do we tell them first, or do we do it and then tell them? We tell them. Suppose they put up a squawk. Well, Mom might. This war kind of took her by surprise, us being in it, I mean. Yeah, her and me. Yeah, but she'll see it's the only thing we can do. Well, let's get all the crying and the carrying on over with. We got to be down there when they open up the place in the morning. That's a clip from the film. So, Frank, this is based on a true story? Yes, it is. This is a film that I saw probably when I was in late high school, early college, and it had a real impact on me. And years later, I made sure that both of my sons saw this film. And fast forward down the road, I was teaching high school, and I made sure that my students watched this film too, because as you know, After seeing this film, it does have a lasting impact on you. It does indeed. The Fighting Sullivans is a World War II biopic starring Thomas Mitchell, actually, Uncle Billy from It's a Wonderful Life, the the man who doomed the savings and loan. Right. And uh, a lot of folks who uh, watch this film will also recognize another familiar face from Frank Capra's It's a Wonderful Life. And that's Ward Bond, who plays the the naval recruiter in this film. Yeah, he's uh, Bert the Cop in It's a Wonderful Life. He is. It was a similar film, kind of, because if you remember It's a Wonderful Life, it's kind of two separate films in one. There's the early life of George Bailey, and then there's the adult life of George Bailey, much like The Fighting Sullivans, where this film follows an Irish Catholic family in uh, Waterloo, Iowa, that has five boys, one girl, and one bathroom. So that created some adventures in itself. It's a film, when I first saw it, it reminded me a whole lot of my grandparents who had six children of their own and eventually two sons who would go to World War II. It is a cute film in the beginning because it follows the antics of these five Sullivan boys who were always getting into trouble, sort of like an R-Gang comedy almost in, in sections. I definitely got that sort of our gang vibe that first half hour. And we follow them literally from birth. It starts with their respective baptisms. Yes. It follows them right through their entire lives and their careers. It's a film that if you're just sitting down watching it, you're thinking, oh, this is a, this is a great little period piece about the Depression and coming out of the Depression into World War II. And then it becomes something entirely different. It does. And that first section is very episodic. You see them getting into these scraps and situations with not only other neighborhood kids, but also their parents, especially their dad, who is quick tempered. But at least in this movie, he has creative and and wise solutions to most problems, 
especially when uh, he catches them smoking. Yes, and uh, I love that scene because uh, their mom is saying, oh, please don't beat the boys. Come on, you know, they're just boys. And he has a very powerful solution that he offers to the boys and basically lets his wife in on it and says, you know, from now on, you're men. So let's go get some cigars and let's all smoke. Mm -hmm. And boy, they thought that was great. Oh, Pop's going to let us smoke. And they're all lighting up these big stogies and then... As then you they realize one by yes. one, they all got violently ill. Oh, yeah. And then the one shot of them all at the bathtub, like it's a reverse trough, basically. Right. Yeah. It was so cute with a lot of a lot of the annex. And again, it resonated a lot with me because it reminded me a lot of my own family. And a lot of the scenes in that film reminded me of my grandfather and my uncles and aunts. And it reminded me a lot of what a lot of families here in Philadelphia and also all across the country were going through at that point in time. Like you said before, the end, especially coming after such a lighthearted movie, because most of this movie is very light in tone, which makes the end a real gut punch. It really does. And it's a real light, heartwarming film about the Depression era. Until it isn't. Until it isn't. And then it becomes a, a very hard look at a phrase that's often said, but probably not dwelled on enough, and that is freedom is never free. I don't know if it's much of a spoiler since this is an actual historical happening to say that, yeah, they don't make it. The brothers, all being very patriotic like their father and mother and sister, go to sign up right after the Japanese bomb Pearl Harbor. Yeah, they hear that on the radio. Like most of America did that day. They had one caveat, though. When they went to each of the different recruiting stations, they said, it's either you take us all or none of us. So they they were going together. They had grown up together. They were going to war together. So it was the Navy who finally gave them a pass, which on the books back then didn't often happen, but in this case it did. And maybe it happened because Waterloo, Iowa is such a small community and they all knew the Sullivan boys and they knew the parents. So they figured, well, you know, these guys have been sleeping together in the same room. They've been eating together and, you know, by golly, they're going to fight together. So they let them do that. So they, they did go to each branch because in the movie, they just go straight to the Naval Recruiting Office. Right. In reality, they went to the different recruiting offices that were open in, in Waterloo, Iowa at the time. And the Navy was the one who said yes. We have a clip of the scene where they go to sign up after hearing the news of Pearl Harbor. You heard what the yeoman said. I'll see you men one at a time. You see, sir, we're the Solomons. We're brothers, the five of us. We've always been together since we was born, you might say, and that's how we want to go into the Navy. Yeah, it's like this. We always done our fighting as a kind of team. We Sullivan stick together. Well, we'll do what we can. Do what you can? Listen, mister, we gotta know. If we go, we go together. Look, son, you can't make deals with the Navy. I told you I'd do what I could. Besides, it's probably better that you were separated. If you're all on the same ship, it's... Sure, sure, we already talked that over. That's okay. We're willing to take our chance. All right, if that's the way you feel about it. You mean we can sign to serve on the same ship? The Navy doesn't give any guarantees. All I can say is I'll do the best I can. Now suppose four of you get out of here and let me get the information on Sullivan number 54. No, sir, I'm sorry. We just couldn't take a chance on being separated. If you can't give us a guarantee, we'll have to find somebody who can. All right, boys, but let me give you a little bit of advice. Before this war is over, plenty of people are going to find out that they can't always get what they want, that they got to quit worrying about just taking care of themselves, like it or not. Well, maybe you're right, Admiral. 
But you can't blame us for trying. Come on. Frank, we were talking before about this whole thing, and you told me the real story of their demise, because in the movie, the ship that they're on, the Juno, is uh, damaged in a, in a battle, and uh, the five of them, uh, the oldest one is in sick bay because he's been wounded, and they all go to him and resolve to carry him out because none of them are going to ditch the others. Exactly. In the spirit of the film, the brothers always stuck together, and they had promised mom and dad that they were going to take care of each other, even at war. And the oldest brother, George, in the film, he's injured like you said, in sick bay, and the other brothers come, they find him, they lift him up, fade to black, you hear an explosion, but it's far worse. In reality, the oldest brother, George, survived the blast because he wasn't below, he was on deck, as was the youngest brother, Al. Both Al and George were knocked off the ship, along with a lot of other guys, into the water, and they got to life rafts, and some of them didn't. The youngest brother, Al apparently was wounded on deck, fell into the water. They got him on this life raft, and he died at sea in the life raft about a day or so later. And the story gets even worse because as these boys who had been injured are in these life rafts, they're seeing these Navy scout planes go overhead. Uh, And this is in the Guadalcanal area. And they're hoping, okay, well, they're going to get us help soon. Well, they didn't. Those guys were out there for a long time, uh, almost two weeks, maybe uh, 16, 18 days. And Al died of his injuries in the life raft. And because there was so little room in the life raft, they put him overboard. Now, a lot of the guys who couldn't get into life rafts died because they were being eaten by sharks. So you've nearly been killed by an explosion. You're in a life raft, pitch black. You don't know if you're going to make it or not. There's sharks all around you. People are jumping overboard because they didn't have any food. They didn't have any water. And they were drinking seawater, which drove a lot of them crazy, crazy enough to hallucinate. And George, the oldest, actually drank seawater and just was almost superhuman in strength, some accounts say, to the men who were with him in his life raft. And finally, he broke loose and started screaming his brother's names and said, I'm coming to get you. And he was eaten by sharks. Like I said. That is very, very grisly. It is. It's it's such an awful end, and probably Hollywood played it the right way, killing all five brothers at the same time when the torpedo hit the Juno. But to find out years later, after I had seen the film, what really happened, I was like, oh, my God. You know, I wonder if their folks knew that. I hope they didn't, but they they probably did. But one cute thing about this, there was a ship commissioned, the USS Sullivan's, in their honor. And a lot of the people who were stationed on that ship said that it was haunted, not by bad ghosts, but by sort of rambunctious ghosts. So they were always hearing voices, men arguing, and they figured, well, it's the Sullivan brothers. They're here. They're here with us. That tracks. It really does. That makes sense because... Really, they massage the story a bit as far as the boys. By accounts, the Sullivan boys were actually real hell raisers. Yeah. yeah. They were like even in like a biker gang. They yeah. called it the Harley Club. Yeah. And they picked a lot of fights. They were tough kids living in a tough area. They lived right down the road from the railroad tracks. And their father was an engineer on the railroad for his entire career. And everybody knew them. Uh, probably for all kinds of different reasons. 
when the movie premiered in Waterloo, they were expecting at the opening a big audience. Fox was expecting to make about three grand, but it pulled in about 500 for that opening. The citizens of Waterloo were like, these boys are fresh in our minds. And yeah, yeah we, we, know, kind of, we know these guys. <laughs> yeah, we don't need Hollywood to tell us about these guys. Yeah, we knew them all right. But it's definitely an interesting case of the reality and the myth and the way Hollywood tries to rush to print the legend as the saying goes. Right. And it was a film that apparently had a big impact on a young Steven Spielberg. Well, actually, contrary to popular belief, it didn't actually inspire Saving Private Ryan because that movie was based loosely on the Nyland brothers. Mm-hmm. But they did mention in the movie the Sullivans. Yeah. So there was something of an influence there in that he knew of the way that story influenced the way this story went down because afterwards the Navy implemented the uh, sole survivor policy. The one scene that just always gets me, uh, when the boys are little, again, their father works on the railroad, so they had this routine. When dad was coming home, they'd blow the whistle on the, uh, the train, so the guys knew that dad was almost home, and they would run up into the water tower, mm-hmm. and they would wave at the old man oh, as, I know he, what was, scene you're as talking he was about. coming home, and he'd wave back to them. Yeah. One of the last scenes in the film is after their father is notified by Ward Bond, who is the Navy recruiter, that all five of them had died. All five. He goes off to work. He said he had never missed a day in 33 years. He goes to work right after, like immediately after learning about. So his wife is distraught. Yes. And he is in obvious shock. He gets up. He's like, I haven't missed a day in 35 yeah. years. Yeah, and he, he goes to work. He's on the train. And when he is passing the water tower where the boys used to wave hello to him, mm-hmm. he salutes the water tower. It, it's a great, great scene. And it says a lot without saying a word. Yeah. It, it kind of says everything that he's feeling. You know, he's so proud of his sons, but he is just just so distraught. That scene really gets me, too, and I really wish that the movie had ended on that. On that, yeah. Instead, they do the whole christening of the USS, the Sullivans. And then this final shot where you see the ghosts of the boys running towards heaven and they stop and wait for Al. Something about that just did not feel good. Yeah, I totally agree. That would have been the perfect place to end the film when... Their father, Mr. Sullivan, salutes the water tower Mm -hmm. in memory of his five lost boys. I I guess they figured they they needed that other element to it. I I don't know, but I agree with you. I would have ended it there as well. Yeah, but they couldn't have ended it on that note, I guess, because the war was still going on. This was a year before they dropped the bomb. Yeah. So the war was still happening. Fox really couldn't fathom the idea of ending it on such a downer and then really probably hampering the war effort. Right. And remember back then, most of the studios, if not all of the studios, had agreements with the War Department uh, to be very positive. And they probably had an advisor. And if you and I check the credits, we'd probably see who the naval advisor was assigned to that film because there had to be one. They probably suggested some additional scenes to sort of make it a more positive ending. I, I would think that's maybe why they added in the uh, the christening of the USS the Sullivans and the boys running towards the pearly gates, waiting for little Al. I don't know how I feel about that shot, even now. But the scene with the water tower, 
I also found really affecting. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really, really tough. That scene reminded me of that scene in Field of Dreams where he asks his father to have a catch with him. And there's not a guy alive who can watch that and, and not cry. So that water tower scene at the end of the Fighting Sullivans is pretty much along the lines of that. So no matter how much of a John Wayne type you think you are, trust me, when you get to that scene of the film, if you watch it from the beginning to the end, uh, that's going to get to you. Speaking of baseball, and you brought this up, and I caught it too, these boys are from Waterloo, right. Iowa, and yet they're always talking about the Phillies. Did the they Phillies are, win, yeah. the Phillies lose, and we're trying to figure out exactly what's the tie. You know, their father, apparently a Phillies fan, so when I first saw the film, I didn't. there's not any references that I can remember to being in Waterloo, Iowa, so I thought it was in the Philadelphia region. And again, it reminded me so much of my own family. I thought, oh, yeah, hey, he's a Phillies fan. How cool. It was interesting to do research, and you and I both tried to figure it out. Like, why, why the Phillies? You know, what was the deal? I even looked up the director because his name is Lloyd Bacon, and I was like, is he right. related to the Bacons? But no, no relation there. We kind of figured that one of the three writers credited with this film is from Lackawanna, Pennsylvania, and just a guess. That it's a bit of a ways up. Still. It is, but figured, well, that's the only Pennsylvania connection we could figure out. So this movie is a little hard to find on DVD, I guess, which makes it perfect for for this show. Because like you said, it has fallen kind of under the cracks. I tried to find it on Amazon and I couldn't find the DVD for anything under like 50 bucks. However, it is streaming on Amazon Prime, so you can find it there. I originally found it at my local library and uh, I brought it home. And that's when I showed it to my boys when they were in grade school. And you know, they thought it was a great film until it wasn't. Remember? Yeah, you, you depressed them with that, didn't oh, you? <laughs> I did. And you know what? I don't know if I'm a bad dad or a good dad, but I just I wanted to make sure they knew the realities of war. Not often do you really think about war when you're that young. Anyhow, I thought it was a good idea to show them this film because I knew they'd be able to relate to the first half of it. And I knew that they would be shocked by the second half. And I remember my youngest son, Sean turning to me and saying, almost in tears, they're all dead? And I said, yeah. And my oldest boy said, even little Al? And I said, yeah, even little Al. And it had an impact on them. And that was a long, long time ago. Thanks, Frank, for uh, bringing that up to me. Thank you very much for having me along. Cinema Obscura. And I'm Andre Bennett with Frank Trainer. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced at the KYW Studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Thanks for listening. Well, boys, here we go.